0: celebration for students. And every year, there's a big theme, and this year's theme was Mess Fest. And so what did we do? We had a massive food fight. We always do something fun. We always do something crazy. And the, the dream that I wanted to make come true for students was hawking food at each other. And it, let me say, it was actually scary. Like, I yelled food fight, and it was an all-out war. Like, in a moment, on my left side of my face, I got hit with a bagel covered in French dressing, and then I turned the other direction, and I got hit with spaghetti and uh, marshmallows and fried beans. It was mayhem, but it was so much fun. And the reason we do something crazy and wild and fun like this is to honestly celebrate all that God did in student ministries this year. Like, he moved in leaps and bounds in our students' lives, in our leaders' lives. Um, and so it was an awesome, awesome year, and we just cap it off with something fun. And so it was nasty. It was nasty, I'm telling you. It was exactly what you thought a food fight would be. We just went through the line, and kids got to dump onto their, onto their, uh, onto their tray whatever they wanted to throw at someone. And it was a blast. Uh, so we did that down on the lower field. We cut a big... Uh, swath of the, the, the tall grass and had a blast with it. But it's in all seriousness, it's crazy how uh, something like this can bring a sense of unity to a group of students. Unity comes from truth, knowing what's true. And from MessFest, the truth of MessFest was this was a fun experience that we did together. You know, unity is a really important aspect of our lives as people that we would experience unity. Unity is vital for our flourishing and for us to experience things like joy and peace uh, and love. They really can't be experienced without it. Without experiencing unity with the people that we find ourselves surrounded by. It's vital in our relationships, it's vital in our marriages, unity. That's why it's called a union. It's, it's important in our workspaces, but it is absolutely vital as Christians within the church. Let me show you quickly what I mean. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for all believers. He's talking to God and he's praying on behalf of all believers and he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What this passage is saying, in essence, is that our effectiveness, our ability to reach our community and those around us with the love of Jesus, is directly connected with how we love one another within these four walls. There is a direct correlation to how we are unified as a church and our effectiveness to our community. Not only does Jesus pray for our unity, but scripture talks about God's literal hate for disunity. And hate's a strong word. But let's read this passage. In Proverbs chapter six, it says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies. And listen to this, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Boom roasted. God does not like disunity because of what we just talked about in John chapter 17. It it directly affects our effectiveness to reach others with the gospel and the love of Jesus. And for a few weeks now, we've been in a new series going through the letter to the Galatian church. And Galatia was a region. It was a region north of the Mediterranean Sea where the Apostle Paul planted his first churches on his first missionary journey. And these churches were filled with Gentiles. That's non-Jews. Anyone that's not a Jew is considered a Gentile. It's people like you and me, where Paul went and planted these churches. And since Paul's planting of these churches, roughly two to three years later, Paul receives word that false teachers have come and began to preach a different gospel that contradicts the gospel that Paul originally taught them. The true gospel that they were founded on. And what these false teachers were teaching was a gospel that required circumcision, which was a Jewish custom. It's a weird Jewish custom. Why would you enforce that? Well, it was a Jewish custom. It was a part of the law of Moses. It was something that God called his people to do in the Old Testament. Like, if if and when you follow me, this is something you do to physically symbolize your following and commitment to me. But what Jesus did when he came, died, and rose again was he fulfilled the law. Making it no longer, we, we no longer had to abide by that law uh, that, that proved sinful. That it was something that, that we could not fulfill on our own. So God had to do it for us. So we are no longer held to that standard. We're no longer required to be circumcised. But they were, in essence, coming into these Gentile churches and saying, you need to be circumcised to be considered a Christian. What these false teachers were teaching was a gospel of circumcision. On one hand, you had Paul preaching the gospel of faith in Christ is for people of all cultures. While his opponents were claiming not all Jewish people are Christians, but all Christians must become Jewish and therefore follow a Jewish law. It was control. It was about control. It was about following something that the gospel did not require of us as believers. And those are two very, very different gospels. And the reason why Paul combats this so aggressively, you can hear his tone in his letter, is because the gospel is the bedrock of what unifies us as believers. We may have varying opinions and differences within the church on different topics and things, but the moment that you and I begin to tinker with what the gospel is, either adding to it or taking away from it, we lose all unity. Because it, it is, at the end of the day, the one thing that we as Christians agree upon. That the way you come to salvation is faith through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And what these false teachers were doing, were, were adding to it. It was faith through Jesus and this. It was faith through Jesus and abiding by the law of Moses. And that is not true. That is not the work of Jesus Christ and the gospel that he preached and came to do. And so this is why Paul so seriously attacks this with the church in Galatia because it's literally the most serious issue a church can face is is talking about and tinkering with what the gospel is that we profess to be true. And so we pick up this story in Galatians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can open open there. And what you're actually going to read, remember, this is Paul's letter to the Galatian church. And what you read in chapter 2, verses 1 and 10 is Paul recounts a story, okay, from recent history where Paul walks them through an identical scenario to what the Galatian church is facing right now and how he resolved it and what came from it. In the recounting of this story, Paul accomplishes two things in his defense of his gospel. One, is this story helps Paul continue down the path of proving his credentials? Like he's contrasting the false teachers to him in the eyes of the Galatians. He's he's giving this as a reason to believe me and not them. You can see as the as the heading in your Bible, the chapter two is is uh, titled "Paul Accepted by the Apostles," which isn't a big deal. Like that is his that is part of his credentials. Okay, giving and this gives no leg for the false teachers to stand on. But secondly. This moment gives proof that what the Galatians are currently facing has already been dealt with amongst Christian leaders. And the truth is the gospel that Paul originally preached. That is what is true. And so we're going to walk through this story this morning. I'm going to to stop and illuminate a few things to help us understand what's going on. But there's two themes that I want you to see uh, by the end of today in this passage. One, it's how Paul handles an opportunity for division and maintains unity. Because as we just saw, how important unity within the church and this what these false teachers were teaching had an opp- was an opportunity of division within the church. So that's the first thing. How he handles an opportunity of division and maintains unity. But second, that Paul protects the gospel at all costs. At all costs, we must protect the gospel. So let's jump in. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, Then after 14 years. Stop. Timeline is important for Paul. In recollecting this story, these 14 years matter. Just a few verses prior, what we talked about last week, is after, uh, three years after Paul's conversion, he went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And then he recounts the second story, what we're about to read right now. And he's saying, now 14 years after my conversion, I went to Jerusalem. And so some major time has been eclipsed since his two meetings, since the last time he went to Jerusalem. And during that time, not only was Paul doing ministry, but more importantly, was he spending time with God? You think about it, he was... he was a Jew persecuting Christians and now he had this miraculous encounter with with the resurrected Christ and now he's, he's preaching, he's been called to preach a true gospel, the real gospel to the Gentiles. He needs to spend time learning and understanding what is that gospel, what is the good news of Jesus, what does my relationship with God look like so that he was equipped for the work that he could do. The first thing I think we see as, as we go through this, that we can learn from Paul in maintaining unity is this. He took serious time to be and walk with the Lord and learn from him. His conviction about what he believed and what he shared was not based on his knowledge nor what, on what he felt was right Rather, it was rooted in Scripture and confirmed to him through his relationship with God. And it was confirmed to him through his relationship with God in those 14 years that we don't really know what happened, but we know it prepared him for the ministry that he was called to do. You see, the more time we spend with God, the truth will become clearer. The impurities of our sinful natures will begin to fall away. We will begin to handle discrepancies and things like disunity better. Our lives will be marked by love, all of which will help us as a church maintain unity. The more we as a whole do that together, we will be able to more effectively stay and remain unified. Let's keep going. He says, then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem. Okay, stop. This is the second time now in just a few verses that Paul mentions Jerusalem. What's the big deal with Jerusalem? Why does he keep going there? What's the big deal? Well, the Jerusalem church is where the church began. It's church headquarters. It's church HQ. Okay? This is where all the bigwigs of the early church currently resided. And it was in the middle of a Jewish culture. So imagine why this is a big deal. Paul, someone who recently killed and persecuted Christians had a miraculous encounter with God, has been now called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and now is going to the head church in Jerusalem to talk, with, to, to talk with the church leaders who are in a Jewish culture about the gospel that he's professing. This is a big moment, okay? This is a big moment. But why? Why does Paul, after 14 years, go to Jerusalem? We read on. I took Titus, or time with, uh, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation. Why did he go? It was because of a revelation from God. It was not because of a letter. It was not because he was invited. It was not because of hearsay about what was going down in Jerusalem. Paul went. To Jerusalem because God wanted him there and God told him to go. The second thing I want you to see in Paul's pursuit of unity within the church is that he's obedient to God's call in his life. He says, I went. I went in response. You see, doing things within the church can be hard. People make things messier and harder than they sometimes have to be. And sometimes when there's a potential for confrontation, our tendency is to look the other way and to avoid it because it's easier. But what does Paul do? He goes. God's like, I need you here for this moment because something's going down. And so what does he do? He goes. He goes to Jerusalem after 14 years. Keeping unity within the body of Christ takes boldness. Talking to someone who has either hurt you or you know that you've hurt yourself can be hard. But when you know that that conversation will ultimately be best for both of you and bring about unity within the relationships that you have, or more specifically within the church that you call home, do it. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit inside you saying, Make this right for the sake of unity push through that awkwardness, push through that uncomfortability, push through your pride, let go of your ego because it has a direct impact on how our church, how we as a body, effectively minister to our community. He goes on to say, I went in response to a revelation meeting privately with those esteemed leaders. Stop. I promise we'll get through this. I promise, okay? We're stopping a lot. I promise. He says he met privately with those esteemed leaders. Have you ever met someone or been in a situation where what they're saying might be true, but how they're communicating it is way off course, is way off base? It's like, it's like what you're saying, like the truth of what you're saying is unifying, but how you're saying it is totally ununifying. The example that came to mind for me is—I'll be honest—it's been a hot minute since I've played since I've w- played basketball and went to open gym. But there's that old, there's always that guy at open gym who's yelling at his teammates. He's yelling to pass the ball and to do this and to set a pick. And it's like what you're saying is right. Like passing the ball is an effective form of offense. That is a good way to score the basketball. But in all honesty, the last thing I want to do to you right now, man, is pass the ball. The last thing I want to do right now is be on your team. The last thing I want to do is listen to you. What you're saying is true, but how you're saying it, I can't stand it. You see, Paul makes a point to state that he met privately with the esteemed leaders. I think that's what this shows us in our attempts to keep unity is that when a situation arises— Our discernment for how to handle that situation is extremely important to the outcome of whether we keep unity or not. Hannah Anderson says, discernment is being able to distinguish between good, bad, and what is best. Discernment does not change the challenges we face, it changes our ability to face them. You see, there was a potential issue it was going to happen in Jerusalem and in Church HQ and the and the church there, and Paul could have honest in all honesty put the leaders on blast. I mean that is Paul's tendency, right? You hear about how he he said just a few verses earlier how he was zealous for the faith of his fathers and how he went to the nth degree to persecute Christians. And now since his revelation from Jesus Christ, he has turned the exact opposite way, but is equally as zealous, as boisterous, as in your face and upfront about the gospel. And so that would be Paul's tendency. Like that is what he's known to do. But he understands the fragility of this moment. He understands how big of a deal this is, that this literally could cause a split within the body of Christ. And so he discerns that's not how to best handle it. For the sake of unity, he uses discernment. We read on and he says, I presented to them, he met privately with the esteemed leaders and I presented to them the gospel that I preached to the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. So Paul goes to Jerusalem because God calls him there to church headquarters to meet with the Christian leaders who are in a Jewish culture and he's explaining the gospel that he has been preaching to the Gentiles. And he's doing this because some false teachers are encouraging new believers in the church in Jerusalem to become circumcised, to follow a law that Christ fulfilled. This is exactly what the Galatian church is facing, which is why Paul includes it in his letter. If you don't understand the magnitude of this moment, Tim Keller says, if the Jerusalem apostles had sided with or even merely tolerated those who were teaching against Paul, this would have split the church in two. Disunity. Neither side would have accepted the other fully and would have questioned if the others were even saved. Paul's Gentile churches would doubt that the Jewish churches really had faith in Christ and the Jewish churches would also doubt the salvation of the Gentiles. This is a big deal. How this scenario goes down is a very big deal in the early church. And Paul has to figure out a way to navigate it. In verse five, what does he do with these false teachers? He says, but we did not give into them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you today. That moment that happened two to three years ago affects you, church in Galatia, right now and what you believe. The last thing Paul does in an attempt to keep unity is this, is he does not tolerate the opportunity for disunity for a moment. When it comes to the gospel, there is no leeway There is no give and take because the gospel is unity. It is the thing that brings all of these people in this room right here together. We have different opinions on different things and that's okay. We can still be unified. We should still be unified. And the thing that unifies us is the gospel, but he does not tolerate disunity for one moment. And so I ask you, you know, in this body, sometimes there's moments when it's easy to shove something under the rug, or there's moments with a volunteer that you have where it's like, what they said, it just kind of came off it came off weird, or just hit you right. You know? It just hit you a little wonky. And before you know it, you're stewing over that, that little, maybe even innocent moment. And by the end of the day, you're convinced they're not Christian. I don't like them, right? And, and all of a sudden, there's disunity between this person in the church and you, a, volunteer, a fellow volunteer, because of something innocent that happened. And so what we see Paul do is he doesn't tolerate that for a moment. So if and when those moments happen here in this church, talk about them, bring them to light. Don't let them fester, Right, something seemingly insignificant, something seemingly small, can how it can so quickly cause a divide, right? How it can so quickly unsettle things. It's kind of like a bug bite, right? You think of the surface area of your body, and a bug bite is so small, like so small, so seemingly insignificant. But once there's one or two or three, all of a sudden you have a terrible night's sleep. Right? These small things can have big impacts. And so what we are called to do as Christians is to actively fight against those small things of disunity. We're called to not, not let those things affect us. And if, if, if there is a discrepancy between you and someone else, to, to, bring, to bring it up, to talk it out for the sake of unity. We read on in verse 6: As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. Paul shares the gospel that he shares with the Gentiles to the to the leaders of, of, of the church in a Jewish culture, and they're like, Paul, you're spot on. We have nothing to add. A few weeks ago, Pastor Aaron was talking about, he asks people from time to time, what is the gospel? And they'll say, it's love, or it's this or it's that. And it's like, yes, but it's, it's so much more. What Paul did was he accurately laid out everything. There was nothing more that they could add. There was nothing more for them to say, yeah, but include this, or yeah, but also say this. He, he encapsulated what Jesus Christ did when he lived on this earth, died the death he did, and rose from the dead perfectly. They added nothing to what he was called to do to preach to the Gentiles. And in verse seven, it says, On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. Just as Peter had been called to the Jews, to the circumcised. For God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the Jews or circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Although their ministries look different, Because the people and cultures that they were ministering to looked different. The gospel that they were sharing was the exact same. Church unity. Church unity was maintained. And that gospel that they both preached was faith in Christ. In verse 9, it says, James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of friendship. That's a fellowship. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. When they recognized the grace that was given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles so that, and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. This story that Paul recalls is a major moment within the church. And this this moment of them offering these these Jewish Christian leaders, offering Paul as a Gentile Christian leaders, this right hand of fellowship was a big moment. Tim Keller says, this was more than a gesture of courtesy. This act had the effect of isolating and discrediting the false teachers that were in Jerusalem during this story, but also the false teachers that were in Galatia, the reason he's writing this letter. They could no longer claim to represent James, Peter, and John as they evidently had. By including Paul and Barnabas and the uncircumcised Titus, the Jerusalem apostles were excluding the false teachers. By establishing gospel unity for all people, they were also setting the boundaries of that unity and the false teachers were outside of it. Church unity was saved and maintained. And so by Paul in this story, we see being in lockstep with the Lord and spending time with him over his first 14 years after his conversion and being obedient to God's call in his life and his ability to properly discern a situation and how to handle it for the sake of unity and still preserve the gospel at all costs. He avoids division Retained unity as a result, and the Christian faith literally is what it is today. Bravo, Paul. And so, with this story, I want to leave you with two questions, two thoughts, and the band can begin to make their way up. In relation to the gospel, the first question is this Do you ever find yourself adding to the gospel that you believe? And what I mean by this, an example of this, is do you ever feel more secure in your salvation when you're doing better at reading the Bible each day, but if you go a week or two or three or a month, whatever, you begin to feel uncertain of your salvation and your faith in Jesus Christ? If you ever have that feeling, that is a works-based gospel, and that is not the gospel. The gospel does not say to get to to heaven you need to average in every other day. It says nothing like that. It has nothing to do with law. It has nothing to do with works. It has everything to do with what Jesus Christ did on that cross for you and for me. That is it. I tell students all the time: we never outgrow the gospel. You maybe have been hearing about the gospel is, the good news of Jesus, since you were little, but we never outgrow it. The implications of what it is affects every single day of our lives. Never outgrow it. Never get sick and tired of hearing and reading what it is and how it it changed your life and changes your life today. Because it is the bedrock of what what we believe. And the, the truer understanding that you have of it. It will point you in a clear direction of what is true. It will help you identify what is false. You guys, the gospel is everything and we have to protect what it is at all costs. And on the topic of unity, my second question is this. Are there people in this room that you are at odds with? That there's tension between you and someone else within this church? Sometimes that happens when we don't even, when they don't even know it, right? Like, I, like that example I said, someone says something, it's just kind of an off-putting comment and all of a sudden you have like this, this subconscious feeling, I, I don't really like this person. Like those things, those little ways that Satan weasels his way in to cause divi- division and cause disunity within the church, we have to actively fight against. And so my challenge for you today is this, in light of that question, do not leave church today without connecting with that person for the sake of unity. This church needs you to do that. It has a direct impact on our effectiveness with this world. When Delano knows that two people within this church are at each other's throats and I just I know that that person does not like that person and they also ha- know that they both go to the highlands, that has a direct correlation in our effectiveness of sharing the gospel. So don't let it fester. Don't let it go. Bring it into the light. For the sake of love and unity. Satan wants to divide and destroy, and we must actively fight against it. And so maybe you have you know that person or you know that scenario in your heart right now, that that thing that you just have this tension with someone in this church right now. Brody, how do I go about it? Well, as we sing these next songs, reread this passage that we just walked through, the blueprint that Paul laid out with, with us. Or I just want to end with this passage. It's in Colossians chapter three. This is also Paul. And he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Remember, God's chosen people, the church, holy and dearly loved. That is true of you and the person that you are at odds with. Remember that. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. As you approach someone for the sake of unity to clear something up, approach them with this. And if someone approaches you to talk about something for the sake of unity, also come into that conversation with this. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all of these virtues put on love which binds them all in perfect unity. Let me pray. Lord, the gospel is so good and it's so perfect. It does not need to be changed. It does not need to be altered. It does not need to be added to. And so I pray if there are any ways that we have added to it or subtracted from it or or believed a false gospel, a works-based faith that we would you'd show us that so we could let go of that and just Rest in the peace that is. Faith comes through uh, believing in you and you alone. And God, I pray for unity for this church. I pray that the people in this room and the service before, we would be able to identify those moments that Satan wants to use to cause division, to cause friendships to break, to cause uh, volunteers to to dislike one another for any reason, God, that we would pursue unity at full force together so that we can reach those around us with your love and your goodness, God. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for Paul's boldness to the church in Jerusalem and this letter that he now writes wrote to the church in Galatia so that we could see what it looks like to maintain unity at not at the expense of the gospel. Thank you for this letter, God. In your name I pray. Amen. You can stand. We are actually going to take communion. And let us celebrate the unity that we have together. And the unity that we have together is because of the work that Jesus did on Calvary, on the cross for you and me. And so as you come forward to receive communion, remember that truth. That although we, 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 we land on different, different uh, landing spots and different topics, the one thing every single person in this room agrees on is the goodness of Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross. And so as we receive communion, we've gotten bigger. And so we uh, are, are doing something new in our process for what communion looks like here. We no longer have uh, stations in the back. All communion will be taken up front. And you'll be dismissed by row. Okay, to, to come receive communion. Uh, for those of you who are gluten-free, uh, we have gluten-free uh, bread up front, so just let the server know that you are gluten-free and they'll make sure that you get the proper um, uh, communion uh, offerings. But let us worship together.